Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And, uh, Noel, we were talking last week. La- last week was a week full of, like, just kind of crappy news, and we were talking about that uh, when we recorded. Um, and then, like, I was editing, and just Twitter and, and just 2020 was like, you know what, we're going to punch you in the face again, because... Last week, the reason we didn't talk about last week is because of when the news broke and when we record and edit the show. Uh, Chadwick Boseman died last week at the age of 43, uh, surprising just his fans worldwide and people who are aware of pop culture worldwide um, because he had not disclosed that he was uh, fighting cancer and he was uh, in, had been in stage three and four for the past four years and had been uh, undergoing treatment and such. He kept that very private. Um, and so then, you know, a lot of you know, people didn't know that he wasn't doing great, and so his death came as a real shock. Um, this is a TV podcast, and yet the the death of Chadwick Boseman feels like a thing worth uh, worthy of mention, even though, unfortunately for us as TV fans, he did not do a lot of TV. Um, I was like, sort of, I was just shocked when when I heard about it because it just. Uh, on the things you expect, the shitty things you expect to happen in 2020, Chadwick Boseman dies was not on that list. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it kind of threw me for a loop, but I definitely this, this week have been going back and watching some of his performances and, and just appreciating what a talented and thoughtful uh, just performer, but just person he seems to have been um, in his yeah. choices and in his... Um, not just in his roles, but also in his public appearances and how he approached his work and the understanding of the cultural impact, not only of Black Panther, but in a bunch of the roles he played. Um, do you have any any thoughts on, on Bozeman? I mean, it was, like you said, it was a real sort of like shell shock sort of thing. Uh, my partner, I had finished watching a movie and we turned on, we flipped over to Twitter and we were just like, Wait, why are why why is our why are our feeds saying Chadwick Boseman said this can't be? Oh, it's very real. Okay, cancer, right? Okay, um, yeah, it was really intense to kind of like work through that for a few for a little while there, and that concept um, of like, oh, right, like you said, it wasn't exactly on the bingo sheet yeah. <laughs> of twenty twenty. Um, so yeah, it was just really intense, but yeah, no, re- I haven't revisited anything of his yet. Um, I'm probably going too soon, but it was still kind of an intense thing. I did watch like a couple of clips, like I watched him, um, surprise people who were recording messages for him on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And then he just pops out of the curtain and people just freak out. Um, which was great. Um, a lot of people reshared the really excellent Black Jeopardy sketch that he was on when he hosted SNL. Um, the, that sequence is great anyway, and he's very, very funny in it. Um, so that was really great. Um, 
the if you want like a TV hookup, um, ABC very quickly aired Black Panther that Sunday. Yeah. Um, to massive amounts of ratings. Uh, yeah. for And they did it without commercials, which and was did it a, commercials. a significant thing for me. I was not going to watch it, and then I found out it was without commercials. I was like, okay, well, record. Yeah. And and I watched at least some of it earlier. I'm going to keep it on the DVR for a while and come back to it, because what a what a movie, what a performance. Like, yeah. I have my quibbles with it here and there, but none of it is with Bozeman. Right, and the thing about it, like... Considering, like, the ways in which we window movies now, that was Black Panther's broadcast television premiere, which meant that thousands of millions of people suddenly had access to this movie that didn't have access, if they didn't have access, pay for Netflix, if they didn't have Disney+, Plus, um, if they didn't go see it in theaters, or if they didn't rent it from, like, a movie box or a red box or, like, from Netflix's disc subscription service which still exists Mm -hmm. this was their first chance to see it on television and that's just kind of a wild thing when you stop and think about it and they did like a little bit of a retrospective about his career as well if i remember correctly yeah um so it was just really quick and agile thinking that they were able to do and speaks to like the benefits of being a nearly vertically integrated company but also um that someone went we can do this we should do this let's do this and then they they did it um so like the not airing it with commercials is like the big thing like you said so it's really cool that they were able to sort of honor him that way with his most high profile role um and that they chose to do black panther not civil war for some reason even though i really liked (laughs) war you know someone went but what about civil war and everyone went no (laughs) (laughs) you get one it's gonna be the one he's starring in Yeah. yeah yeah definitely yeah, he's done, like, appearances on TV, like, just roles here and there. Like, he, like we've been talking about French. He it was in an episode of French um, playing really significant, significant roles, what I remember. It's But I didn't know him at the time, so I would have to dust off the DVDs and go find that episode and rewatch it to remember him. I, I remember, I think he's one of the Cortexapan kids, um, but I could be wrong on that, uh, which won't mean anything <laughs> to you, no, but that's okay. Um, but but he's you know he's got episodes here and there, but really you look to his work in um, in film if you want to see his performances. I did not know that he had started out as a directing student before, mm-hmm. and he had, wasn't going to be an actor. But then his college, you know, school, he went to Howard. They make you do at least a course in. Um, acting if you want to be a director which is a good call yes. <laughs> so like if they want you to, if you want to be an orchestra teacher you have to at least learn how to play all of the orchestra instruments you don't have to be great but you got to at least be able to play them <laughs> um so so uh, that's what led him into to acting and just what a talented and again really thoughtful individual that we will be missing for quite a long time um yeah yeah um, in very different news, all of our news is very different than all of our other news this week. Uh, this this week, a uh, story came out about Marisol Nichols, who is an actor on Riverdale. Um, and this first this story broke in May in Marie Claire, but she's an actor who has for the past six years been also working undercover to catch child sex predators, uh, working with the federal government um, to, like, pose as the parent of a child uh, or as the child themselves online. Um, And the reason we're mentioning it here, besides the fact that that, like, 
It's like while you're also in a high profile TV show, you're just on the side, you're also doing this. Um, but she, uh, she there's going to be a TV show that's being optioned right now uh, or developed based on her experiences and her story, um, which which is why this was making the rounds in the news again this week. So like way to go, Marisol Nichols. That's awesome. And what a like a wild thing to be doing and be able to to do. I imagine at this point she's probably not, you know, because she wouldn't have written about it if she was. But um, right, yeah. Um, but you never know. You never know. She could still be doing it even after all this comes out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, now suddenly, like everyone's going to be like, "Are you Marisol Nichols? You have to tell me, or it's entrapment." <laughs> yeah. Do you, are you the person on Riverdale, or do you just look like them? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know Riverdale well enough to know what character she plays. She plays, but... um, she plays, um, Veronica's mom. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this story other than, you know, I look forward to the show if it's good? Yeah, no, I look forward to the show if it's good. Sony's developing it, so, I mean, Sony's kind of hit or miss sometimes. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's a wild little story. Um, I don't know how you make it a series, but sure. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we will see if it gets yeah. made. Uh, again, very different news. Though this one, well, this impacts you a lot more than me. Uh, Anna Ferris is leaving Mom after what six years, seven years? Yeah, so she seven, seven, whatever the most recent season is, she's not in it. That's a coming basically. Yeah, the next season. Um, the next season, right? Which I think is season eight. Um, either way, she won't be in it at all in any capacity. Um, she announced today that she's no longer on the show, um, and that the split was amicable apparently. Um, but the show will continue on without her. Um, to which everyone who's still watching mom kind of goes, okay, (laughs) sure. Um, because one of the weird things is that Christy has been increasingly, I don't want to say sidelined, but has not been given much to do on the show. Um, like her kids don't exist anymore. Her exes don't exist anymore. Um, and the show really kind of struggled to find stories for her to do that didn't work wholly separated from the rest of the cast, which is what ended up happening a lot. So like her law school stuff, uh, interning at a law firm with, um, Paget Brewster, which was great. Brewster was really funny. Um, but there just wasn't anything for Christy to really be engaged with, um, in how the show was sort of evolving. And so I don't know if it was just like Ferris went, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not getting anything really out of this. Or maybe I just want to do podcasting for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, but I'm done. So I don't know that it will really change up the show in any way, shape or form. Um, this is a show that's so consistently retooled itself. It's hard to know. Um, but they'll address where she is in the season premiere. Um, and then that'll be that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a little disappointed about this, in part because the finale set her up to begin a actually potentially interesting storyline in which she starts exploring her sexuality. Um, 
and then that's just not going to happen, I guess. Um, which is a little disappointing to see that. Um, my only thing, and I tweeted this, is that now it's Wendy's turn. <laughs> Wendy will finally rise to the top of the show's hierarchy. She will not. Beth, um, Beth Harris is great, and Wendy is a terrific character. Wendy is never going to be any more than a punching bag for the rest of the group, <laughs> which is sad. Um, but we'll see. I'm curious about what the show looks like, but I don't think it's going to change all that much without Christy there. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I look forward to your thoughts. I sh- assume you'll be watching when it comes back and how this it, how this shapes or changes or doesn't everything else yeah. going on in the show. Um, our last bit of news here, uh, we're going to end with uh, some celebration because Niecy Nash got married this week, or at least uh, released photos from her wedding this week, and yeah. and she got married to a woman, and that is news to some extent because she's never come out as anything um, yeah she's been married to two men previously and i looked for a statement i didn't see a statement but uh she is married to jessica betts and their wedding photo is gorgeous they look fabulous and congratulations to nisi nash yeah uh, no like you said the photos look terrific um and it's just really cool yeah i don't have anything else to say it's great yeah it's great yay their respective Instagrams have some really cute, uh, especially Jessica Betts's has some really sweet little things um, mm-hmm. from the um, ceremony and everything. So it's really nice. If you want to go follow a nice story and and yeah. go you have some you know positivity and loveliness in your in your day to day, go check it out. Check out their Instagrams, and um, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to the the article over at out dot com. Uh, but yeah, so on that more cheerful note we will be talking at the end of the show about great pretender season one which noel had talked a bit about uh last week on the podcast this is a netflix anime that has uh season one is already out obviously but season two half is coming season one half is this half of season one yeah netflix will probably bill it as season two but it's all part of the same season okay and then the second half will be coming later uh so we will talk about that at the end of the show but for now we'll take a break listen to a little music and be right back with our week in tv This week in TV, I'm going to kick things off with a few thoughts on Canada's Drag Race. Do not worry, American listeners, I will keep things spoiler-free, but the finale has aired in Canada. In the U.S., the episode 8 of 10 will be airing this coming week. So there are three more episodes to go in the United States, but it's all done as as we are recording in Canada. And so, Kate's a time traveler. I am. Like- 
can cross borders. But really also, easily. if if you're watching Wild Presents Plus, if you watch, there's different ways that you can uh, can watch it. And those people, and you know, if you are on social media, anyone else <laughs> who whoever talks about the show are probably already spoiled. Uh, I'm going to keep things spoiler free, but I did, did want to give a few thoughts about Canada's Drag Race after, now that the season is finished airing in its initial run. Um, then I'm going to talk briefly about Skin Wars, which I caught up with on Netflix and Skin Wars Fresh Paint. Uh, Noel watched Agretsuko Season 3 on Netflix this week. Then we'll both talk a little last week tonight with John Oliver and The Vow Viscera before I give a few thoughts about Doom Patrol uh, just the first couple episodes and Went on a Earp, which had its mid-season finale, Holy War Part Two, and we will round things out with Love Lovecraft Country, Holy Ghost. Um, so first up is Canada's Drag Race. Uh, the the finale I thought was really strong. Uh, any of the three final queens I think would have been uh, like a justified winner. I'm happy with who won. I think it was a, a good choice, but they all did a really good job in the finale. They all had different strengths. Um, and I, I appreciated, uh, how the show approached its finale. I liked the challenge. I like, especially since they weren't going to do a big live thing for their finale. Um, since they apparently didn't want to do that, I like that they brought back all they bring back all the queens, uh, so that they can do a finale look, just like we saw for All Stars Five, uh, and it's very nice to watch the queens interact again like that. I'm guessing they had an order for ten episodes specifically, which is why they didn't do a separate reunion episode. But we don't need it. This was fine. What they did here was fine. The only thing I want to know is: is there a miscongeniality? Because if so, that was not announced. Um, but I think people will be satisfied with the ending. I think they'll be satisfied with who gets crowned. And uh, if you care about not being spoiled for that, just stay off of social media for three weeks. Good good luck, guys. Uh, I mean, it'll probably be good for your mental health just to stay off of social media for three weeks. Um, the other thing I will say that I particularly appreciated is that when they did their ball episode, they made sure to include some sp- like specific like history lesson talking heads with each of the queens about the history of ball culture in the United States and and very specifically the role of queer uh, people of color in that culture. So I, I liked that little bit of history lesson. I wish the show did more. Like, just all the various Drag Race shows did a little bit more of that. Uh, I mean, by the time you're in season 12 of Drag Race in the United States, you're assuming a certain amount of uh, connection and, and historical literacy within the subculture that the show is centered on, right? But, you know, a certain, certainly... Sometimes the queens don't have that history, so I feel like it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they don't. And if you... It's certainly, like, Drag Race UK season one, Drag Race Canada, or Canada's Drag Race season one, like... There are people who are going to be tuning in for the first time for this. So, yeah, I, I appreciated them throwing some, some more history in there. We'll see if that holds up in a season two. I assume it, there will be a season two, but who knows? There is going to be Drag Race Holland next, apparently. I don't know if I'm going to watch that one. <laughs> we'll see. I, like You like, must consume all of the Drag Race. Yeah, I, I think, because I still have to get back to Thailand season two. Um that's the next one to tick off for me. And then maybe Dragula or something. But yeah, I, I don't... I, I'm really ready for a break. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, the As far as the judging and stuff goes, I'm not hot on all the judging. I think that was a weak point of the season. The queens I thought were great. Um, I really like Stacey, actually, on, on the panel. Brooklyn was okay. Not, not always great. Um, and Jeffrey, I thought, was the weak point in the panel. 
um, charming and all, but like there's a lack of drag knowledge sure. on their judging panel. So they've got Stacy, who is a model, and they've got uh, Brooklyn, who is a drag queen, and then they've got Chapman, who is an actor. And they're really missing either like a comedian who can be the Ross Matthews and just be funny, or someone with like Michelle Visage's level of like awareness and history in the drag scene. And mm-hmm. like that, that was definitely lacking this season. It, it, the, the panel did not have enough um, like weight to it. I didn't feel like these people are experts and they like deserve to be judging this show. So, you know, and the, the guest hosts were hit and miss. Some were great. Some were like, really? But, you know, hey, if Tom Green is going to come host the show, he did it with gusto. That's, you know, like, that's all you can ask. Uh, there's still some tweaks to be made. We'll see what Holland does with the format. And um, we'll see what a season two in Canada does with it. But certainly, uh, I ended up really enjoying the season because of the strength of the cast. And I will be watching some of these queens, I'm sure, as they pop up in crossover moments, but also on social media. Next up is Skin Wars, which is a body painting show on Netflix. It was originally on, like, the Game Show channel. Uh, and it is interesting. It's not great, but, you know, when you need a break from all this... Sometimes you just want to watch people do creative, pretty things. And um, while this the show... Like, I would not watch it live. Okay. Um, uh, but when it's on Netflix and there aren't commercials and I can, like, hit the arrow button on my laptop to, like, skip forward 10 seconds when they start repeating things, then it it really did, you know, I, I did watch all three seasons of it. Um, it's just really interesting to see people with different perspectives create art. Or do, and do something that they're good at. And they're not always great. You know, you've got a ten, there's a range of talents. But if the, the, when any show says, you are all talented, you know what you're doing, you have some level of experience, here's a topic, here's five hours, paint something. You know, like, it's, hopefully if you've cast your show well, it, that it'll at least be interesting to see, you know, different perspectives on a theme and on a topic. So the... The parts of this I did not care for was the blatant sexism of a bunch of the competitors. There were so many, there were so many dude bro artists uh, on this, right? Gross. Who who you could tell, oh, like, are body painting because I get to paint naked ladies. Um, and some of them just straight up say that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, who doesn't love painting a naked, lo- naked lady, naked woman? Or, like, the fact that whenever they would talk about um, their competitors, they always used he. Like, if I'm thinking about who's going to be a competitor, he's going to be this. Like, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of that. But uh, I will say that the, and the ultimate, like, demographics of who won, and there's three seasons, and it is majority lady, I will say that. So... That helped. <laughs> that that didn't hurt, I'll be honest. <laughs> They're all the people who ended up in the finals were always really talented. So like even if they were misogynistic jerks, they were misogynistic jerks who were really good at body painting. Um so like I could understand why they ended up there and this is not a who do you like the best competition. Um though that's always part of reality TV. Yeah, uh, I was about to say. <laughs> but uh but no, I thought I thought that uh 
it was it ended up being a more positive and rewarding viewing experience because I could skip forward when they just started repeating themselves, right? I, I ended up actually enjoying the show more, more than I expected to when I had like tentatively like dipped my finger in, dipped my toes in, uh, at, at the end of uh, last week. Um, there was also a spinoff show, Skin Wars Fresh Paint, where they brought back different. Um, each episode has three mentors, air quotes, who were people who competed in the first in the three seasons of Skin Wars, and then there are six other artists who had never body painted before who then are all battling it out over the course of three rounds and one of them will win and win um ten thousand dollars and there's like like six or eight episodes of that um so actually i think it's nine because i remember being like nine um anyways so so that was interesting and as certainly as a teacher right watching the even the 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 painters that I don't like for personality reasons try to teach these other artists uh, and watching the artists who just won't listen, you know, it's like, why do they think they, why do they think that they know body painting better? Who, you know, anyways, it was very relatable, shall we say. The people who were the good students versus the people who were not, the people, you know, who held to their point of view without making like the suggested adjustments when that worked and when it didn't. Um, so that was, that ended up being more fun than I, than I expected. Um, and because that was another one where it was just like, okay, skip through the first round, get to jump to the point where we get to see all their paintings, (laughs) their, their, you know, their body art. And then, um, then go from there, sort of. But uh, it was, it was, you know, if you're looking for another reality show, you've already cycled through the ones that we usually recommend. You can check this out and see what you think. Um, yeah, it's, it it's pretty consistent in tone, but like every season they have like at least one episode where they have to try to blend their, their model into a background of a thing, you know, and yeah. make them disappear in the art. They do that in, in fresh, the fresh paint spinoff series a few times. That's always really neat. And then there's just different like ways of like, you know, the, so the camouflage challenge is sort of like the restaurant wars of this. And okay. there's then like, there's a few other challenges that recur as well that are that are really interesting to see different perspectives on with the different sets of painters so yeah it's neat you know i ended up actually enjoying it um however i feel like my next netflix show should maybe be catching up with agratsuko which has dropped season three um which i have not made time for yet but you did noel what did you think so season three is a little less pointed um than season two is um in terms of how it deals with like gender in the workplace, um, gender in relationships, and social media. Um, it's a little more of a straightforward sort of transition-y season, I think, in a lot of ways, um, that bounces more off of the Christmas special from a couple of years ago, I think, um, than it necessarily does season two, even though some of the stuff from season two is still kind of here circulating. All of that, I think, just kind of results in a slightly less compelling season, but it's still really good and really funny. Um, it kicks off with um, Retzko um, becoming obsessed with a VR game and just buying a lot of microtransaction stuff and going into massive amounts of debt, which is the most millennial, <laughs> <laughs> older Gen Z thing that you can do. Um, is going to debt over microtransactions, um, which is underpins like a lot of like financial insecurity that has already is kind of present in the show, but comes to a forefront in this season 
as in the midst of all this, she backs up into a apparently really slick person's van and wrecks it. And then she has to become the accountant for a aspiring pop idol group to pay off that debt. Okay. Um, things spiral from there. And I don't want to give it away because there is a hard swerve in the final two episodes on which it gets into something a little more mature and nuanced, uh, more so in lines of what they were doing in season two than they do for most of this season. But I do think that this season's still really fun. Um, there's not nearly enough Fennec. Um, the Fennec Fox, who's just delightful and is into everyone's business. But The Office is really kind of sidelined this season as uh, Retzko tries to grapple with trying balancing a professional, professional salary woman life with this underground pop idol stuff that she's sort of feeling out. So there's a... There's a weird imbalance in this season that I don't totally grok onto. And considering that the, um, whatchamacallit, considering that the central tension of the romance um, is not a ship that I'm necessarily interested in, um, it's a little also less interesting. Um, But it's still a good season. I still think it's worth checking out. Um, But it's not as timely, I think, as, as time sensitive or as aggressively you have to watch this right now kind of season as season two was um there's also less death metal singing so that's immediately a problem yeah um that's good to know going in though that so i can right yeah you you don't want to be disappointed there's still some death metal singing yeah but there's not as much as there should be um but there is also like a couple of pop idol songs that we get in exchange so it's not a total waste of time um yeah so it's good it's good it's good um, I just don't know that you, if you have other things on your plate lined up that you really want to watch, I think that that's a better choice to do. But these episodes are also short, so it doesn't take you long to burn through them. Yeah, we'll see how we'll see how work goes tomorrow. Because I, I feel it. Because I know if I start watching this season, I will watch all of the season tomorrow. So, and then maybe I should just. Wait till I finish my work instead of trying to multitask my work, which is yeah. dumb and never works <laughs> and always slows me down. Um, okay, interesting. I will report back, listeners, if I do check in with it. Uh, our next show is Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which we are mentioning specifically for Danbury. Uh, I look forward to the responses. I'm assuming we will get an update on this week's episode. What, what did you think of the end of show bit? I mean, it's just... I don't know how I feel about <laughs> last week tonight withholding chari- charitable giving to local organizations if they don't get his name on a, su- a sewage, a water treatment plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that they'll still give them the money um, just because it'll be kind of a dick move to be like, if you don't do this, I'm not going to give you any of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, the mayor did tweet out Monday morning that they were actively looking into it. <laughs> um, but we also won't get an update for at least a month because the show's off oh, until the right. end of September. I forgot. Yeah, you're yeah. right. So it's rough that they do this whole hostage situation, um, but then go off the air for a month. It's just like, you don't, you don't do that. Though that does allow, that does give them some squiggle room. So, like, if they don't quite get it done in a week, but they get it done before the next show. Right, exactly. 
um, yeah. so that they can have an update, um, which is fair, I think. But it's also just kind of like, I have so few good cliffhangers in my life right now <laughs> <laughs> that I want to know the resolution of this immediately. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciated the ways and I appreciate, I especially appreciated the two local Danbury YouTube clips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That little boy, I meant to subscribe to that little boy, um, on YouTube <laughs> and I did not. And I need to get on that, uh, because I want to watch him every week. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it was, it was very amusing. It was, it, yeah, it was just very amusing. Um, how did you feel about it? Yeah, it was super fun. Uh, and some because I guess I've seen enough Last Week Tonight clips on my YouTube, you know, in the the algorithm, I was getting response videos yeah. from the people who were featured in the episode saying, hey, we made the show. Uh, so I have not watched those yet, but I assume that means that we will get an update at some point from Last Week, last week Tonight. But we also thought we would get a Jelly's Marble Runs update, and we never did. So who knows? Never did. They gave they gave the money and ran. Mm-hmm. Which hey, you know what? we'll take it. Those food bank banks, the they will take the yeah. money. But uh, Savage Peters. Anyways, sorry, salt wound. Um, let's move on. Our next episode is the Vow episode two, Viscera, and I I thought this was a tighter episode. And um, while I think that the you know we talked about last week the first episode, um having a really effective point and structure to it. Um, it just still felt, you know, too long. This one felt like it had the correct amount of contents for the hour and was really uh, compelling. By the end of the episode, you know why the show is called The Vow, even if it's, um, it's still not necessarily the best title. If you want yeah. to, people to check out your show, like it's heading to a really, it's already heading towards a really disturbing dark place. Like they're hinting at, it in this episode um but certainly if you for some reason don't know the story of an xcm and you have any triggers around self-harm and food you probably you might want to not watch the next episode um just from the way the story is heading and like where the parts of this uh this cult that are being like like where the story seems to be going next. Like there's a bunch of different things for the the this documentary series to explore, and it seems like what's headed next is going to be some difficult stuff. Um, but I thought I thought this was this episode was um, like it it it. I, but some of my concerns were alleviated. Yeah, I th- I do agree with you that this is a much tighter episode uh, than the premiere is. Um, mainly because again, like we said last week, the premiere is having to do a lot of like work in explaining why this organization is as, was as compelling as it was. And it also really wanted to drive home sort of the extent to which it was infiltrating certain corners of particularly moneyed corners of the globe. Um, this episode narrows that focus down and, a much more productive way by telling those very specific stories of um, Bonnie Peace leaving and then Mark Vicente realizing he should leave. Yeah. Um, And I think that there's a lot of, I think that that split structure helps the episode a lot in terms of not split, split structure, but split focus basically one half is devoted to peace, basically, and then the other half is largely vo- devoted to Vicente coming to grips with the fact that he's been had for the for past 
12 years. 12 years, right. Exactly. Um, And this episode also threw Vicente specifically, which I think is an interesting kind of um, pivot for this kind of a story. It starts ramping up uh, um, Ranire. Ranire? Ranire. Ranire. Thank you. I knew that was wrong. Um, Ranire's weirdness through Vicente as opposed to doing it through a woman, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a good sort of like flip on that, um, that he was exercising this kind of predatory behavior in different ways on different people to hit them in just the right space. Um, and I think that that's really, that's a really good way of helping segue us into more with Sarah and more with um, uh, Doss. Um, I was trying to think of the group's name. I was just like, Doss, right. Like MS-Doss, because why not? Anyway, um, so the ways in which that they're kind of building out that, I think, works really well, even if I do also still think that, much like last in the premiere, there's a lot of like push towards cliffhanger sort of stuff. That I don't necessarily feel great about on like an audience level, um, but I get that they want you they want you hooked in for each episode. Um, I just don't know that you need to do that when your story is as compelling as this is. Um, but I don't make documentaries, so what do I know? <laughs> yeah, just trust the subject matter, right? But yeah, um, yeah. I keep having to remind myself watching this that. They keep saying, like, Allie, this, and I'm like, oh, that's Allison Mack. That's who yeah. Allie is. And, okay, so that's where we're headed next. Because she's the the big name that people um, following Nexium for the past decade or her, however long there have been rumblings about them will be familiar with. Um, and, I, you know, I really liked what this in this episode the, the that there was just such a different response from the different people, right? Bonnie, like, she's was talking with a person who had been out, um, who had gotten out of Nexium, and them, and just saying, like, you know, tentatively approaching the topic of, is something wrong? I've heard rumblings. And then that, that friend just says, high control groups. And that mm-hmm. is, like, just hearing that is enough for Bonnie to go, oh, that doesn't seem good. Okay, uh, Google, yep. Uh, the scales have fallen from my eyes versus um, the, you know, just how just the different things it takes for different people to rebel against and um, be able to process and contextualize their abuse and, you know, the kind of um, pressures that groups like Nexium put on their members, um, put on the people who have been lured in by them, by people like Keith Raniere. Just such a difference, just such a difference between um, Bonnie and Mark's uh, reactions. Though I think Mark was in before Bonnie, right? Yes. So that's he sure recruited that's well. her. Basically, he recruited her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, I, I am looking forward to the next episode, and uh, and again, it's just like it feels like we're getting to this parts of the story that I know. By episode three, and yeah. there's nine episodes. Yeah, I'm yeah. So I'm really, um, I'm really curious 
like I, I assume there must be a lot more that I don't know, which is right. how they're going to get nine episodes. So yeah, I've been wondering how they're getting nine episodes, considering what's going on um, and what they're building up to. We will see. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yay. <laughs> such a dark topic, but such a important uh, conversation uh, for for anyone who is unaware of the kind of stuff that goes down in various, you know, high control groups as a term I did not know, but now I'm more aware of thanks to the vow. Uh, Next up is Doom Patrol. And, you know, we've been talking about on the podcast here, just different shows to catch up with during, um, during coronavirus. And, um, you know, since there's much less original programming or the shows that we would expect to start rolling back out right about now are not. Um, and so I was wondering, should I catch up with Doom Patrol? A friend of the show, Latoya Ferguson is a fan. So she said, yeah, yeah, I I think it's good. So I checked it out. And if any of you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen me tweeting about this last night. Uh, if I aggressively do not like the pilot, should I keep watching Doom Patrol? And one person was just dot, 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 no. And, oh, not a good and, sign. And someone else said, well, yeah, I didn't really like the first six, but it picked up for me after that. And Latoya laughed. And it was which like, is, which I is had a feeling. Perfect Latoya response is just to laugh at you. Yeah. Um, so I did keep watching based on the strength of Latoya's... Um, recommendation and because you know she's got excellent taste and everything um so the thing is i do i hate the pilot i think i hate the pilot um of this show because it had it features um fourth wall breaking narration from the the season at least maybe series i don't know antagonist uh mr nobody played by alan tudyk doing his creepy voice um you might remember this from, say, when he was on Dollhouse, only it's that, but campier, but not fun. Just just bad. Just not good. Um, and it, like, they, no, they straight up say, you know, there's like a line, because one of the characters is an actor, and so they're talking about a film that she's shooting. It's like, the critics, uh, the critics uh, would not, didn't speak kindly of it, but, you know, critics, they don't like anything. They're going to hate this show. It's just like, it doesn't make you edgy. It doesn't make you cool to say that. Like, why do you? Because <laughs> it was so irritating to me because I already hated the show before we got to that line. It's like, you don't get to, like, protect yourself from my criticism by saying that critics aren't going to like this show. Like, that's not, I don't not like you because you called out critics. Yeah. I point to that line as an indication of the fact that you are not creative and you don't trust your own content. So just, like, there are so many, air quotes, trashy shows that I love that are really pulpy and ridiculous. Like, I will stand uh, stand uh, for season one of Spartacus any day of the week, and that is a ridiculous show with, like, at times just bad acting. But, like, the stuff that it does, it does well. It does so well, you know? And, and, and the actors all, like, some of them are really good to start, and the rest of them get much better really quickly. Um, so, like, I was just so irritated. I was like... <laughs> It doesn't make you cool to be like, critics aren't going to like me. And then I was trying to think, as I was watching this premiere, have I ever watched a show that pulled, like, a storyline or, uh, or a moment like that that I thought earned it? 
or was interesting or good, and I couldn't think of any. Of course, the, the, the lady in the water comes right to mind. But, like, I mean, like, it's just... Uh, it's just not a good look. It's insecure, yeah. right? The way... Lashing out pre- preemptively is not a good way to seem confident. But the reason I don't... That's just, like, a perfect indication of the type of voiceover that they have in the show. And Latoya likes the voiceover somehow. Like, it seems like the point of the voiceover is to be bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the guy... It's like one of those um, villains who thinks they're badass, but it's like... no. It's, like syndrome, you're not scary, you know, you're not syndrome interesting. Kidnapped a baby, yes. Well, syndrome's more interesting than, than Mr. Nobody, but like, as I tweeted, Mr. Nobody, you're basic, you're not interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so fortunately, the rest of the show has much more interesting characters. The pilot also is just like its focus. I just, it's not interesting to me. Like, the backstories they give some of the characters are much less interesting than the characters in the present. So mm-hmm. I liked the second episode quite a bit more than the first episode. It helped that there was so much less voiceover. It's still there, but there's a lot less of it. Um, and it has Timothy Dalton, which helps. And it has uh, Brendan Fraser doing Fraser doing a voice acting performance. It has uh, uh, Daniela Guerrera, Daniela Guerrera um, who is, of course, terif- terrific. It's got a bunch of really interesting performances and concepts. Um, so the first episode just feels so it's it's try hard it's just trying to show how different it is and how edgy it is and how all this is like just just be an interesting show that's enough you don't need to like chafe against the restrictions of our expectations because i don't have expectations for you i don't know doom patrol i you're on dc universe so i know you don't have to conform to the cw cookie cutter mold right like just be yourself and yeah. I will let you know, but there the little bit I read a little bit about the first season, and there's a bunch of stuff in there that sounds really fun and interesting and just out of left field. Um, like the second episode has people who have been swallowed by a goat because the goat okay. is a door, right? So like that is interesting. That is way more interesting than than a than a uh, very insipid like monologuing. Uh, bad baddie who knows who like lives outside of time and dimensions so they know that they're on a tv show right like a goat is a door much much more interesting um so i will probably work my way through this depending on you know how many other shows we end up wanting to watch but yeah oh that first episode was rough i appreciate the warning yeah are you gonna watch it or no i mean probably um, okay. I wasn't like, it wasn't high on my priority list, um, mainly because I've been playing video games instead of watching TV, everyone. Um, yeah. it's a but, better call than the pilot of Doom Patrol. I mean, I'm just controlling Norman Reedus and having him deliver stuff to other people. Um, <laughs> and Mads Mikkelsen in weird visions, dancing by himself and falling down because he's drunk. Um, but I'm playing Death Stranding listeners. Um, but... Yeah, no, it was something I was considering just because I have Max and it's available. But I can also just watch Hurley Quinn again. Just, yeah, do that. Yeah. Though if you do watch it, I look forward to your thoughts. I just, I thought the voiceover was just insufferable. Just so smug and just, oh, God. 
this may be a fuck your favorite situation where I think I know what they're doing. Maybe I don't know what they're doing. It's very possible I don't. But I feel like I know what they're doing. And I was like, and I see why you want to do that. Like, how you feel like that's creative, your own thing. Or you're like, you're highlighting the fact that he's actually weak, but he thinks he's strong. But it's just not interesting enough to give such a significant chunk of your episode over to that voice, that point of view. Like, the cost, like, what you lose is not worth what you gain. But... Anyways, listeners, if you want to tell me I'm wrong about Doom Patrol at the Televerse, hit me up. Let me know what you think. But, uh, yeah. Ugh, man. That, if if I do stick with the show and end up liking it, it will be massively in spite of that pilot. <laughs> and um, it will be also because of LaToya. Uh, because I do trust her judgments. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, let's talk about a happier thing, which is the Winona Earp mid-season finale. There's a bunch of really ridiculous, silly stuff happening this half season on Winona Earp. I haven't loved all of it, but they have made Nicole such a central figure. I think that was a good call. They, um, uh, do you care if I spoil you on this? Okay, so she's made to deal with the Clantons not knowing the Clantons to help get uh, everybody back, uh, and, uh, ends up, um, cursed. And if she tries to say what she's done, she starts belching toads. Uh, or, or frogs? One of the two. I think toads. Um, and so, uh, they, the only way to break the curse is to kill her. And so they, they have to, so they have to drown her in salt water, transfer her consciousness to a toad, and then, uh, they have to kill the Clanton lady, um, cause they both have to be dead. When, when they do this, they don't know that they both have to be dead. Um, but she's basically, she's gotta die, and then they've gotta slowly bring her temperature back up, and then move the, the, the consciousness back into the body it's like a whole thing and of course hijinks ensue and like she ends up outside of the frog and then waverly's trying to kiss frogs to see if she can figure out which one is nicole it's and, and meanwhile nicole, spectral nicole is just standing there going like oh no you don't need to do this it's so gross why oh, i love you sweetie but don't <laughs> uh it, it's it's there's a lot of really ridiculous silly stuff in here that is actually pretty good there's some there's a couple beats of uh darker character things and some some character choices some of them feel justified some of them feel like they're there to be there um to be dark or to be a point of contention that it just doesn't feel earned but um but i did end up enjoying this half season i don't like it was too fractured for me between the 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 first two episodes and then everything else we got. I know some people like the pacing of that they felt like it was really tight but for me it was way too scattershot Okay. I wanted a lot more streamlined narrative of what was going on, or I feel like they needed more episodes. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens when they are able to resume filming and the second half of the season is coming in 2021 at some point. But, uh, but I, you know, I certainly had a lot of fun <laughs> with spectral begowned Nicole, um, just, you know, trying to like figure out if she can flicker the lights <laughs> to let people know that she's not in the frogs. So you can stop kissing frogs. Um, yeah, it's good. Good times. Uh, our last episode this week is Lovecraft Country, uh, Holy Ghost. So we liked the premiere a lot. Second episode we were less certain on. Uh, I was very engaged with this third episode. For me, the show's right back where I want it to be. I still think the pilot is the strongest episode, but uh, I had a lot of fun with this ghost story. What, what did you think? Yeah, I think it's a pretty solid um, haunted house story. Um, down to that, like, bit of a stinger right at the end of, oh, there's, 
Where does where does this tunnel go? Also, that's so many bodies. Um, no, I assumed that those were the people that. Oh, I guess they found body parts. They didn't find the whole body. Yes. So yeah. those were the rest of their bodies, or those were Maybe. other people the house has killed. I don't know. Yeah. Because um, there's electricity running down there, so it has to go to something. Because um, it's a long ass tunnel. Um, but yeah. Um, no, I think it's a good haunted house story that, um, very wisely keeps the focus on the house and on, like, a uh, a historical perspective. Um, even a recent historical perspective. Um, and I think that makes just a big difference in terms of how we approach it. Because it keeps the neighbors from becoming just overly large caricatures of angry white racists, which is fine for this show, I think. But also we did that for two episodes. We don't need it immediately as like the forefront, the central threat, really. Um, so the central threat being racism still, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's pervaded this house. Um, so I liked how all of that got built together, really. And so having like the car horns constantly going creates this impending sense of dread all the time, but also like a you push it as a nuisance as opposed to the actual threat um that's inside the house literally uh so i think that it all works pretty well um i don't know that i love the we meant for you to buy this house and find out all this stuff um little thing at the end but i also kind of figured we weren't done with them yeah, that's so, straight out of the book. Um, yeah. The, and though I now have a clear sense in that woman, that's the, so they've gender swapped the character from the book and they're mm-hmm. changing some things and they're keeping other things. And I, that is particularly potent. I thought that ending was very good. And that line um, reads all the more insidious and terrible coming from a woman than from a white woman than from a white man. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I like what they're doing with that. There's more to come of with these connections back to Lovecraft Country, which is which I mean was a foregone conclusion, of course. Um, but it also makes more sense than the mom suddenly having hidden away money somewhere. Yes, it makes an infinite amount more sense. Um, I all of that. I just went. This is this is an okay answer that doesn't make really any sense, but sure. Okay, show if that's what you want me to do. I don't know this character really, aside from what other people have told me about her. So, and then it's like, oh nope, this was all a big lie. Okay, cool, I'm on board now. Um, yeah, so I think that there's some good scares in it, um, but particularly like the ghostly apparitions of the people who are still inside the house. Um, that little baby head. Yeah. On the body, and I, I didn't care for that. The, the um, it was there was a lot of really good gross out um, and body horror with that. Yeah. But and then having the resolution be around healing and reclaiming their identities and their selves yes. was really potent, as you know, to be expected. They absolutely nailed that. The I liked. I mean, I'm inferring that the the medium is okay because the other two are. Yeah. <laughs> because our no, leads are so. okay. I'm assuming she's okay too cuz when she was like going in with the 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 you know the blessing or whatever the protection x on their foreheads I'm like double up on you cuz you are not a main character. <laughs> I am concerned you are not going to make it. Um yeah. The again the blending of the historical with the the genre is really 
uh, impactful, right? The car horn thing, people might not know, but that was absolutely a thing that people did to try to run, you know, black residents out of communities. Um, the, the, oh, oh, that scene with the bats. It's so, it's so good. It's so satisfying. And then immediately pairing it with, like Letty's sister Ruby like pulling up and they've got all their shotguns and you realize the reason they've got all the shotguns is because they need to get every single gun out of there so that they can't like be pinned as having ha- having guns when the cops show up yep. um, <laughs> as we all know that won't necessarily protect them but it hopefully will do something um, yep. so yeah it's really it's really well written it's really compelling um, the, the I did not catch this until later uh, did you catch Emmett Till? Emmett Till is the one who asks the question, am I going to have fun on my trip? And the board says no. I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah, he's dressed, and the character's dressed in the white shirt and tie, mm-hmm. uh, which is the picture of Emmett Till from before his trip. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's more, even more, like, layers uh going on in here that, you know, like, you might not catch. Because um, I didn't even hear the character's name. I didn't hear any... Yeah you know, reference to a character name when I was watching it. Um, but afterwards I like was seeing people talk about it. I was like, holy shit. Well, that's a, that's a great call. That's like a very potent inclusion. Um, the, and then it's just also really fun. Like the part, like, oh, Letty throws a great party. <laughs> that's not yes. my scene, but that's a great party. <laughs> no, it was a very, very good party. Um, yeah, it is also not my scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just to her, like, determination, like, uh, like, when, when, when Tate tries to tell her to just, you need to sell the house and get out of here. And she's like, no, this is my house. is like, have you never seen a movie? This is not going to end well. But, you know, this is why you don't mess with Letitia. Uh, people also might, you know, some people, I mean, it's like growing up outside Chicago, the notion that people don't know about, like, cops banging you up and the drive over is strange to me, but some people might not know that. So I That's like the thing they, cops did everywhere. That's just the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, I say that about Chicago because of the expose, of, like the, you know, all those cops being exposed yeah. as having run a torture ring on, uh, on black people and will just anybody they wanted to pin a crime on um, in Chicago really, you know, led me to be more aware of some of that stuff than I would have probably been if I didn't, if that hadn't broken, um, in, in when it did and, and how it did. Um, but, uh, so that, you know, that was another really powerful, significant scene. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm really on board and just, again, the costumes, they're all so gorgeous. Everyone looks so amazing all yeah. the time. And so, and I appreciate that they get to look Amazing. Even when Letty is fighting ghosts, she looks flawless. <laughs> and she, she, like all like all messed up, drenched. Right, I was about like, to say she's but she still pale. looks amazing <laughs> at the same time, and it's great. She's pretty. The life is being sucked out of me. Pale. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but still looking fabulous. Not not like dolled up glam, but just like strong. And, like, don't mess with Letty and, mm-hmm. like, yeah, a force to be reckoned with. So, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Do you have any final thoughts on Lovecraft Country? I do not. Uh, well, then what wins your week in TV? That's a good question. Um, I did not watch a lot of TV this week. Um, well, there's also Lucifer and, and Cora to add to that. 
Right. I, I I feel like it's cheating to say Korra since I've already watched Korra. It wasn't new. Okay. Um, yeah, because otherwise I could have been like, well, you know, the Vera Miles episode of Columbo was really good, but I've seen that episode already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess Lovecraft Country this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll give it to Holy Ghost. What about you? Oh, yeah. Lovecraft Country. Definitely. I, it was the Doom Patrol pilot. No, Love Crush Country. Um, that will wrap up our week in TV. Now we will take a break, listen to the trailer for Great Pretender, season one, part one, uh, the first three cases of Great Pretender, which are all currently available on Netflix, that much of it. Um, then we'll be back with our season spotlight. <laughs> My name is Laurent. I know all about you. Don't want to miss my appointment. So who are you going to scam? Film production's a front. He's really Hollywood mafia. You seriously going to scam a mobster? Despite what you might assume, we only ever con crooks. Now get the hell out of my sight. The only person you can trust is yourself. Our goal is taking down an international fraud ring. Laurent Thierry and his crew. confidence man. Did he say constipated? What they want to believe. A truth that happens to be the easiest to swallow. You're looking at the very best Japanese confidence man that ever walked the earth. And you call yourself Japan's top scam artist. Are you ready to take all these bastards down? I'm warning you, pissing me off is a bad idea. What was that? It's your choice. Wow. Someone tries to betray me. Hey, does this mean I win the bet? <laughs> That was a trailer for the first season of Great Pretender, at least what is listed as the first season on Netflix. There are currently 14 episodes available, uh, which are three cases. They're, they're, you know, split into three cases. There are 23 total coming, yes? Yes. So that means we have another nine headed our way at some point, which will presumably be two more cases, one five episodes, one nope. four episodes. Just no. one Just case. one? Ooh, yeah. one. Ooh, very intriguing. One very long heist um, that hits uh, Netflix Japan at the end of September. Um, no, I don't know when we're going to get it here in the States yet. Okay, well, that's going to be Laurent's case because each yes. of these uh, cases, we get the first three in this segment of the season, uh, give you backstory on the central figures in their heist gang, sort of. Um, so, obviously, you were already uh, a fan of this. You were uh, very yeah. intrigued by what you had seen. Um, I was really on board with the style and fun. Like, the opening credits are just, again, they're so my jam. Like you said, very Ocean's Eleven. Very, um, very brass audience, brass band, and like we've been talking about in our Legend of Korra streaming place, like the hijinks music, lots of hijinks music yeah. in this. Um, the closing animation, which is what is set to, you know, the Freddie Mercury Great Pretender, is just so delightful and fabulous, and I assume has an indication of maybe what's coming our way. But um, I will say that I had a very different level of engagement with these three stories. And sure. I'm curious for you how that ended up going. I was most interested 
I, I think I like the first one the best, despite having some reservations with it. I had the most fun with the last one, and I wasn't all that engaged in the middle one. How did you feel about these three, and did you have a similar, like, variation in your enjoyment of the season, or were, was it more of a through line for you? No, it was basically the same sort of thing. I think I like the third arc a little bit more than you do based on this, um, but I just... A lot of that goes to the character design for James, um, who's just the absolute worst. He's so terrible. terrible. But the character design for that is just pure, just Mm owl-y, that just makes you hate him. I I like owls, everyone, but everything about him, the shady art appraiser, is just so punchable. (laughs) Well, he's just fucking terrible and so you like an essential part of any con narrative is you need to deal with the fact that your heroes or your protagonists are conning people and the way they get around that is to say we only con bad people um and the first people person that they're conning is, is a drug dealer scumbag who also is implied is harassing and assaulting people um which is you they don't say it but it seem, seems like me too allegations at the start of the episode that he gets away with um and so he's obviously a piece of crap but i viscerally hated the villain in the last one so much more he's just like on a personal like personality level just so terrible that you just can't wait for him to get destroyed and humiliated and ruined in a way that even the drug dealer piece of crap gangster you aren't necessarily rooting for his like to the pain not just to the to the pain for for james well um so let's like i guess go case by case um Mm -hmm. here and listeners um i'll remind you about the kind of general premise of the show um, it kicks off with uh, a, a small-time Japanese con man uh, named Makoto Edamura, um, which one of the, my p- problems with the dub is that they keep mispronouncing Makoto. Um, <laughs> it's just like, that's not how you say that name, any, mm-hmm. everyone. It's not how that's pronounced. You can get Edamura and Edamame correct, but you can't get Makoto correct. Right, got it. All right, moving on. Um, who gets... Recruited very aggressively, but very slyly, by a French con man um, named Laurent, and gets folded into this crew of con artists that includes Abigail, um, who is implied to be from Iraq. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second, listeners, because, yeah. Um, And then Cynthia, an American um, who had dreams of becoming an actor that never quite came to fruition, but is living much better than pretty much any actor. She owns an island. <laughs> at least one, yeah. Yeah, at least an at least one island. Um, and then there's a, there's a number of recurring um, con artists that get folded in as well that are all very delightful, I think, anyway. Um, the Korean con artist lady in particular is just wonderful. I love her a great deal. Anyway... Um, so each case takes place in a different city. We've got Los Angeles, Singapore, and London. Um, so let's talk about the Los Angeles case, which has the movie producer, mafioso drug dealer, who has produced this, this series of apparently truly terrible movies. <laughs> the um, Razzies. 
the Razzie series. Um, so yeah, tell me about like this, especially as like an introduction to the series, how you felt about it. Because one of the, my favorite things about this is that it gets the Los Angeles International Airport so right. It just feels so good. And then they go to Macy's and it's like, that is the fanciest fucking Macy's I have ever seen. <laughs> I have not been to L.A., so yeah. I cannot speak to that. That's sure. hilarious. But uh, I will say I had trouble with this first case because uh, but like by the end of the case, you find out that our hero hasn't conned anyone that we've seen because he's been conned this whole time. Um, but, so, you know, because they, they, when we're getting this whole sob story background for him and we're getting, um, like, some larger context... As I'm watching this, it's still in my craw that he's laughing about scamming old ladies at the start of the narrative. And it takes, like, by the end of it, he is, like, taking his his winnings or whatever, like, his, his cut of, of things to pay back everyone he's ever scammed. And so, like, and he's... This is Edamura. Yeah, so his, his, you know, turning over a new leaf and he wants to live a, 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 um, a life he can be proud of and everything. Um, it just... We're not... The trouble is there, you know, the whole time you're going on this wacky fun adventure with him, that's there and they aren't engaging with it enough. Uh, or they they are, it's clearly a thread, but like, the, the other characters aren't concerned about this. He, right. you know, he's dealing with it, um, but the other characters are not concerned. And that is, you know, they don't give these other characters the moments of reflection and like watching you don't see them make sure that person who's getting screwed over actually gets the upper hand in like some small exchanges the way that other con narratives sometimes manage to do so that to make sure that you like your con people mm-hmm. also especially the week after all of the Sega Nicole Astrid name gags the notion that they spent the only person who gets their name is pronounced is the Japanese person and they don't call him Adamura, they call him Adamame. Like, I don't find that microaggression to be charming or funny or interesting. I find it to be racist. <laughs> I find it to be bigoted. And uh, so that doesn't help either, right? So, like, I'm enjoying the style. I'm enjoying the genre exercise. I'm enjoying the some of the performances. And at the same time, I'm when I was watching this first case, those impulses were kind of sitting at the edges of the periphery of my vision, right? Impacting how I, I took, uh, how I approached the whole thing. I will say that when you find out that the Razzie series is basically Steven, a Steven Seagal action se- series, it's amazing. Yeah, I no, it's super great. <laughs> was so happy. It's like, and like, it was such a great choice and like, they're explicit enough about it. Um, it's so it's just so cool. It's really really fun. Um there's some other choices like that that are absolutely delightful. Um so I I did end up enjoying and then knowing where it ends. If I I'm sure if I went back and rewatched it I could enjoy with uh just like more fully the the ride and cuz I'm I'm bored with the characters more by the end than I am at the beginning. Um but yeah, I I thought I felt like the backstory was a bit heavy-handed. There was a bit too much of it for me for Enamora and um I liked you know, Laurent wasn't interesting enough for me either in this. Um, he wasn't cool enough for me. But maybe that was me rebelling against the edamame 
air quotes mm-hmm. jokes. They're, um, they're, they're racist Frenchmen. You, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but, but there, there's a lot that they're doing on a style level that I think is pretty fun. What did you, what stood out to you in, in the LA case? So I think that the LA is a pretty solid introduction to how the show works. Um, I agree with you about like the whole uh, Edamur, Edamame thing, in part because Edamur is not a difficult Japanese last name. It's not. Um, <laughs> there are significantly more difficult Japanese names, um, which I think is supposed to be part of the joke for Japanese audiences in particular of like, right, yeah, no, racist Westerners, man, all of them. <laughs> Um, which I think, again, is supposed to be part of, like, the joke, um, is that just, they're all really lazy. They can't be bothered to learn basic, really easy to pronounce names, um, which is all the more infuriating, again, because the dub gets Makoto's name wrong the entire time. <laughs> Except for one character who says it correctly, I think in the London arc. And I'm just like, that person got it right? Uh, um, so I think that there's just some stuff there that's just it's weird. Um, I agree with you that the backstory is a little repetitive in particular, um, because they just reuse a lot of the same stuff over and over again, which doesn't help that story. It just really indicates that the story is not particularly big. Um, the little twist on it is I think pretty solid, but it doesn't make up for the fact that it takes a long time to kind of get there. Um, and I'm dancing around what the twist is because I think it is actually pretty solid. Um, and awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the reveal. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, you know, there's something, there's some reveal coming early on. And they, yeah, it's it's very well uh, handled and executed. You do not see it coming. At least I did not see it coming. No, you don't. It's really good. Um, I think that the overall con in Los Angeles works on a great deal of levels, including, like, the weird escalation of, I'll just show you how to make it with these notes for extra money. And then, oh, no, 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 you're going to stay here and make it for me. Mm-hmm. And the ways in which that continues to escalate, I think, is really, really good. And I really like the ridiculous. Walter White shout out. That was very good. Yes. No, it's so good. Um, so I think that the ways in which that gets really bigger, like bigger than bigger than intended, all air quotes, um, works really, really well. Um, and is very silly. And I think um, Cassano, who is the um, who's the mark in this season, is delightful um, in his horribleness. Um, not as not as strong as our uh, James or um, art auctioneer, but still pretty terrible. Um, do you have any more thoughts on Los Angeles, or should we go no. to Singapore? Let's go to Singapore because this okay. one I was like, first of all, I think they need to get. Makoto in on it more than they do. Yes. Um, that's, you know, like, why why is he on the show if he's not going to be in on the con? Like, come on. Uh, that's one. And then, two, I thought that the Abby backstory didn't work for me as well as nope. the other ones. Uh, it it doesn't. really doesn't come together. And then I didn't have a strong enough sense of why, why are we taking on these brothers? Um. Specifically this one brother. The other guy's just a doofus. Yeah, the other guy's just kind of along for the ride. But, like, what? Like there was a clear reason to be taking on the other two. And this one was just sort of there. Right. Um, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of fuzziness in this middle arc. Um, They go after Sam, 
who is this oil tycoon um, who organizes an air race. And by organizes, I mean fixes it so that his brother, Clark, wins all the time. Um, And the motivation and the implication for going after Sam is in part because he's, he's like hurt that Lewis guy, right? Um, And that this kind of put them on his radar. Um, So the motivation for going after Sam is a little fuzzier and they intend to make you just hate Sam more by just making Sam a complete asshole. Um, he's really mean to Cynthia throughout. Um, the subtitle translation for the things that he says to Cynthia are softened compared to what the dub has him say to Cynthia, which are much more aggressively misogynistic um, and much more um, explicitly, explicitly misogynistic um, as opposed to, like, there's a difference between saying... Get your dull skin out of here. And I'm not interested in your saggy tits. Yeah. <laughs> like, th- it's a huge difference in terms of a translation and a tone that they're hitting. The, the aggression. Um, with Sam. Yeah. yeah. So they're really ramping up like, yeah, no, he fixes things and he gets people hurt. But he's also just a sexist asshole um, in a much more aggressive way in the dub. Um, but it just... It just doesn't go anywhere, and I think a lot of that boils down to the fact that a lot of the actual con stuff within this episode relies too much on abstract stuff of, well, he became a mechanic for a little while, Edamaru became a mechanic for a little while, here's how we can trap Sam to certain degrees to get him to the casino. The steps are just significantly less elegant than they are in um, the Los Angeles con or in the London con. They're just kind of there. Um, but the Abbey stuff is, the, I think, for me, the largest problem. Um, because the sh- on the one hand, I really like the idea of the show putting this kind of representation in the show. And then going like, also, here's why she's kind of really good and athletic. But the whole, she's a orf- war orphan and a child soldier... And all this kind of stuff with various forms of PTSD that she is not working through don't land. The show doesn't really have space to really address all of that. And they're cagey about like her nationality, even though it's implied to be Iraqi. Um, but it's, it's all very kind of glossed over. In a way that I don't really think helps either her story or Lewis's story because they get intertwined in a really stupid way. Um, but it doesn't really add anything to Abigail and it doesn't really add anything to Lewis. So it just doesn't amount to much of anything at all. Um, whereas with Los Angeles, everything with Edamur gets filtered into Salazar, which I think works better there than it does here. Um, how did you feel more so specifically about like the Abigail stuff? Yeah, because it, it's such a tragic and disturbing backstory, right? And then you're yeah. watching it going like, I feel bad for not connecting to this more. Am I a bad person yeah. for not connecting to this more? No, I'm going to blame the show. Yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely the show's fault. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then I thought all the stuff with Clark and Lewis was a bit too... Lewis and Clark. Uh, it was a bit too um, uh, cutesy, you know, for everything yeah. else. Like, I just for me, it was just the whole thing was just a misfire. Though it looked very pretty. 
Yeah, no. Of of the of the arcs, the Singapore arc is this prettiest because they also get to do just a lot of like flight animation that then has some copious CGI in it, but it still looks really really cool that you don't mind because the the coloring on it is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, well, let's go to London then. And Yeah. So the case for London is the the best, I think. Yes. Because yeah. Like, he's just a piece of crap. So it's basically an art dealer, uh, art auctioner and dealer who is, uh, um, buys a, a painting that they sell. They're, like, they're, they think they're cunning him to get him to, to buy a painting that's just on the house of this, the people who they like, who run a boarding house, who are going to have to sell, like, close, sell everything yeah. and close down because the, the, the mom died with a bunch of debt. Um, and then, and so then he buys it, but then they realize that, um, he, he actually is an art critic and he spotted this art piece of art is actually like this lost treasure that's worth $20 million and he paid $20,000 for it. Um, and so now the, Edamura is, uh, feels guilty about having, um, not realizing what the situation was and not recognizing or knowing the painting. And so he feels guilty for this family and everything. So then they're going to get it back and they're going to pull one over on him. And the reason they're going to pull one over on him is that he's a dick, uh, who feels like art only belongs to people that he approves of, which is... And he only approves of himself. Him, right? Him. <laughs> yeah. And the the rich people who he can con to buy it so he can look at it. Um, but certainly yes. anyone working class, anyone a different color than him, anyone a different gender than him, anyone a different age than him don't deserve art. Um, and so he's going to swindle, um, use himself as a honeypot to swindle uh, this this older woman who has a bunch of money and is, uh, you know, very, very much in love with him to keep buying stuff stuff so that he can want, look at it and observe it and own it and keep it in his house as opposed to have it be shared with everyone else. The voice performance, the 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 art, the design, it all makes him just the weaseliest, most punchable piece of shit who somehow got some power and how did they get some power in this world? It's just wrong. Um so it's really satisfying to watch them take him on. Add in a backstory for Cynthia that I think is pretty solid. Uh, mm-hmm. Though, like, is she supposed to be 40 or 50? They've mentioned something about menopause. And I was like, she looks like she's 30. Okay. I'm very confused about what's going on right now. Um, th- the backstory, I think, is solid. I think that there's some Japanese ageism here. Okay. That's kind of, like, filtering out a little bit. Um, that's really hard to reconcile because, yeah, Cynthia reads very much in her 30s or 40s. Yeah. Um, and I think that's how we're supposed to treat her, but it doesn't always track with how the show functions, um, mm-hmm. with her character. So it's a little difficult, um, to reconcile that. Um, but also she's so rich that maybe she's had plenty of work done. Very possible. Very possible. Um, um what did you think? So I really like the London arc in part because the London arc is just so ridiculous. <laughs> um, like at Listeners, at one point, they stage a massive underworld secret black market art auction, all for this guy's benefit, at a castle. Because why not? The amount of money <laughs> that they have to pour into conning this one dude is one of my favorite things in any sort of con narrative of, how much money are you spending to con this one guy? 
And it, it, he payoff. doesn't have it either. I mean, like, he yeah. transfers, he has some amount of money that he transfers to them. So I guess he had that much if he liquidated everything. Um, but, like, yeah. Yeah, so there's just a lot of stuff. Um, but it's also just so ridiculous. And James is so terrible that I don't care. Um, the Cynthia backstory, I think, works really well. And I like how they fold that into this narrative in a much more direct way than they do in the previous two cases, which makes everything feel a little more urgent and a little timelier. Um, one of the fun things about this entire show, I'll expand out just a quick minute here, um, is I went back and rewatched a couple of episodes with the original Japanese on because I wanted to like figure out some like translation and tonal stuff like I was talking about with the Singapore case. And Kate, um, <laughs> Kasano has an original of the um, artist in question. Oh, Montoya. In his mansion. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and they do a big inset shot of it um, when they walk into the mansion. It's one of, it's the recreation that is in Thomas's uh, like loft. The two faces? The two faces. Cassano has that in his mansion. Okay, because when that showed up, I felt like, I, I was like, do I, I, I looked familiar, but like, there was no reason for it to look familiar. So yeah. I thought I was just crazy. I was like, maybe I just didn't notice that I already saw it earlier in the, this arc. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, so it was all the way back in episode one. Um, so now I'm just like, well, now I just want to rewatch the whole thing to see what other like weird little plant seeds that they planted for the show. Um, but I was just like, that's delightful. Um, yeah, no. So I think that the London arc's just really fun. Um, I like, like I said, I like the backstory stuff. I don't love the pop song, the pop ballad that plays over them. Um, it's not very good, and um, it's not enough to carry me through some of those, the montage elements of the backstory. <laughs> um, but the entire tone of London, because it's a lot more muted, um, because it's in winter, but also because it's London... Um, it feels visually distinct from Los Angeles and Singapore in much the same way I think Los Angeles and Singapore feel visually distinct from each other as well. Um, the Singapore colors tend to be slightly more muted, but like, except when they're outside, they're much brighter. But everything in Los Angeles has that weird sort of like pop art shading to it that isn't as prevalent in Singapore. And by the time that they get to London it's completely gone and it's a much more muted classical almost style of uh, like animation that I think just the, the amount of care that went into this as a whole show, I think is really, really impressive. So I ended up really, really liking the show and I like, I wrote about in my newsletter this week and like I kind of talked about um, with um, promise Neverland. I think great pretender is a great show if you haven't watched anime and you kind of want to get into it um, because it's deeply accessible because it's just a bunch of con narratives and we all know con narratives and there's nothing particularly quote unquote weird about great pretender um, that should feel foreign basically aside from, yeah. So I think this really works. Um, and yes, the London stuff's great. So I really liked this overall. Yeah, definitely check it out if you are uh, curious or just looking for, like, a, like we needed a change in tone from last week. And this was that. This was good. Yes. <laughs> this yes, really fit 
the, it, it, you know, it really fit the mode and, and was right what, what we were looking for. So I had a lot of fun with it. So thank you for suggesting it and, you know, for helping me break down, break it down and feel a little less out on, uh, on a ledge a little bit, uh, out on a limb a little bit about the, uh, the middle one. Um, no, no, and, absolutely. The middle one's the weakest part. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to the, the second half. This is one that, I will say this is the first one where I'm like I am actively looking forward to watching the the conclusion theoretically of this season. Um, nine seems like too many episodes, even for Laurent's arc. It does seem like a lot of episodes, but per Wikipedia, all nine of these are called Wizard of Far East. Okay. Um, so I'm really curious about what we're gonna get here. I'm really hoping it's a big Japanese con, but who knows. A real strength of this of the show is the pacing of it and the fact that it's five episodes, five uh, five episodes, four episodes. Like you can get through one of these cases in a day, easy. Um, they're like twenty three minutes each, something like that. So like it, it like it keeps things moving, which is which is good. So we'll see what happens when there's nine. Um, that yeah, will wrap it's up. Five, five, and four. Yeah. Okay. Five, five, and four. Um, so that will wrap up our conversation about Great Pretender. Go check it out. Let us know what you think, listeners. A few show notes here at the end of the podcast. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchapter feed available over in Apple Podcasts. And we also are up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. It lets people know, it lets us know that you're watching the show and lets people, you know, find the show a little easier. You can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. And uh, you can find my drag race Vegas review uh, recaps very explicitly recaps uh, over at the AV Club. <laughs> like there's like a little bit of review each episode, but there's only so much to review um, over at the AV Club. And you can also find both of us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel. You are at Noel R K. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thanks, Noel, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.